Hi, I'm Jen Horn, and you're listening to Mooney on This, the show where we talk about the challenges and possibilities in creating a more mindful and livable world. This episode is brought to you by Forest Foundation Philippines, a nonprofit that supports projects that empower people to protect and grow our forests and restore our connection with the natural world. Learn more about them and how you can make your project happen via forestfoundation.ph. I think we can all agree that 2020 has been a year of learning. We learned more about the brokenness about some of the systems in our society, our disconnection with people who hold different views, our disconnection with the natural environment that nurtures us, and even our disconnection with ourselves and the well-being of our mind, body, and spirit. So, coming from our previous episode on stories of self-love, where we heard from three women working in sustainability, Ayan and I journey further into mental health in this episode, with two women who spoke to us openly about their experiences with depression and suicide, and finding healing by nurturing their relationships with themselves, with others, and with nature. We'll be hearing from psychologist and farmer Elizabeth De Castro, and entrepreneur and freediver Jella Pitinas, about their experiences with mental health. We'll be exploring some sensitive topics in this episode, so if you don't feel like you're in the best headspace to handle it at the moment, you may consider listening to this episode at another time when you're more able. We begin this episode with Beth. Elizabeth de Castro is a name that many may recognize in the field of psychology, having taught community psychology, eco-psychology, and other related subjects at the University of the Philippines for the past 32 years. And while her interests and research have been varied, from disaster and trauma psychology to environmental protection and well-being, Beth shared how her focus over the years has been child psychology in particular, from child rights and protection to dealing with trauma and war or calamity-stricken areas. Her work over the years has not been easy, to say the least, but she found constant wonder in people and through her interactions with children that even us adults could learn profound things from. Here's Beth. Working with children was one thing that really brought me a lot of insights about life itself. On the other hand, there is also the fact that I have been one of the early birds in terms of initiating what is now called Sikulohiyang Pilipino. Why is this important? Because working with children has told me that there are many things, if taken out of context, if not culturally appropriate, if not in the context of social, cultural, historical issues in the country or in the context of where you work, there are no such things as universal, absolute ways of doing things. And then my work evolved into arguing constantly about the importance of psychology, mental health in our well-being. It has been the most neglected aspect of understanding health. You know, health is really mind, body, and spirit. Mm. And how the problem is health has been focused so much on the physical, 
and hardly the mental or the psychological. And finally, let alone the spirit, we don't talk about that at all. The tsunami, I was in Aceh, I was in Ground Zero, I was all over the places affected by the tsunami. And then, of course, lately, Haiyan, and then now the pandemic. So that has brought me to a realization of how important one's mental health is to survive. Actually, what I found out in working with children is that the non-talk is better. And what is non-talk? Expressive art forms, music, uh, dance, theater arts, etc. They were the most effective because they express themselves symbolically. Mm. They try to tell you a story without directly telling you the story. You know what I mean, you know? Through drawings, through art, through plays, and so on. Because it's one thing to play, it's one thing to do arts, but it's another thing to process that psychologically. Mm. So to me, play therapy was one of the most important things. But in many, 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 many forms. And it's amazing how children will open up to you in ways that are unbelievable. And then, for example, you know, in disasters, what do relief people like us do? You know, we count, we count how many is dead, what livelihood loss, how many animals died, buildings, etc., etc. Then you ask the children to draw. But we never count what they miss, you know. So when they draw, they will tell you they miss the fields where they were running. Rice fields. Also in Asia, it's rice fields. They miss the trees where they used to climb because it fell down. They miss the dogs. So this rude awakening where they had a different way of looking at the environment and nature, both in its harshness, but also in its goodness. Beth worked as a trauma psychologist for the United Nations, and her role brought her to the front lines of natural disasters. When she came back to the Philippines, Beth was mentally exhausted from all the tragic stories she heard and witnessed from the survivors. And that burnout eventually led to depression. As you can you probably realize by now, my work has, has not been easy. Sometimes they call me a trauma psychologist, disaster psychologist, mm. etc. It's not been easy. Mm-hmm. But, you know, pinasok ko na yan. I've been there for some strange reason because of my own uh, circumstances in life, you know, where I've been helping people with disaster, abuse, violence, etc. So you will have to imagine, no matter what, Anybody says that it has an effect on you. So I went back, got really depressed by it. Although initially uninterested with farming or the idea of getting her hands in the soil, Beth eventually found comfort and healing in the garden. With the encouragement of her husband, Tony, an environmentalist and organic farming enthusiast who set up a farm in Zambales, Beth was coaxed to come outside and meaningfully reconnect with nature and her spirituality in the process. When I was sort of breaking down, he told me, so why don't you just come to the farm? I said, no way, it's so far, I'm not into it, you know, I just didn't want to move. 
So he said, come to the garden, come in front of the house. We had a little sort of vacant lot. And then he said, okay, let's plant something here. I said, no way, you know. But then he started sort of really, really just sitting with me in the middle of the garden. All of a sudden, when we, when we planted, started planting little things, kamatis, ampalaya, etc. All of a sudden, I saw, you know, everything in bloom and life was coming, you know. For somebody who's so burned out and depressed, you know, you're practically dead. So when life was coming, you know, the researcher in me was anyway still there. So I saw all the little things happening, you know, the birds, the bees, the flowers, literally, you know, coming. You know, I'm not a very religious person, actually. And I don't really go to church, although my mother does not know that. But, you know, all of a sudden, fireflies, a little tap, okay? Fireflies started coming because it was six o'clock now. So there were ladybugs, there were worms eating the talong, there were butterflies, butterflies in different colors. And I, from my environmental studies, I know that if you have butterflies that are with different colors, they are actually, uh, you have clean air and it's a very good environment. If you only have butterflies with white color, then that's not so good. If you have butterflies with yellow colors, that's a little bit better. But if your butterflies has many colors, then that's super good. And then if you have fireflies, your air is so clean. Can you imagine in Quezon City, in the middle of nowhere, there we are with all our fruits and, and vegetables blooming, ampalaya in vines, tamatis, talong, etc. It was literally a bahay kubo. And then you see the fireflies, and then you see the butterflies, and then you see the bees flying all over the place. Oh my God, I cried. It was such an epiphany. And I have to say, that was the beginning of my spiritual journey. So in my epiphany about nature going back to life, I guess that's when I started understanding what it meant to be with the spirit to go with the force. And I think the best manifestation of the Spirit of God, I believe in God, Spirit of God is in nature, okay? The perfection of God is in nature, you know? So I realized, oh, I really don't have to go to church, yeah? Because the perfection of God is right here in front of my eyes in nature, and the Spirit of God is here. And whether you believe in God or not, spirit of the plants the spirit and the energy of the birds and the flowers and the trees are just there and only when i was really close to breaking down he said drop everything forget everything and just come with me to the farm and then of course i took a leave from the university yeah and that's when i realized oh my god you can connect all of these nature things to uh, mental health and psychology and so on. And then they said, oh, why don't you give this as therapy to others? So that's when I started reading. And then, of course, uh, eventually I offered a course in the department. Actually, nature is one of the best healing process, if not the best. And I say healing, not treatment, because nature does not treat 
And treatment is not the same as healing. Treatment means you are hoping to be cured. Okay? And it's a medical model. But when you are healed, you don't necessarily have to be cured. But the attitude towards yourself when you are sick becomes very different. And because you have an attitude like that, then eventually you get cured for some. And for others, even if they die, they are healed. And the difference between treatment and healing really hit me. Because that is where the spirit is. In other words, it, I call it attitude because I'm a psychologist. But actually, attitude, motivation, whatever. But actually, it's just allowing the spirit to come to you and within you. And, you know, I'm all for change socially. I'm, I was an activist practically my entire youth, you know. But then I realized, again, going into all this uh, nature tripping and nature therapy, that the biggest change and the biggest sort of solution to your well-being and mental health is really from within. And it's the toughest work that you can do. Because that's when you have to deal with all your anger, your anxiety, and all that. Okay? And then nature also taught me what I would say is uh, mindfulness. But actually, I think it's a misnomer. Because when you meditate, it means you don't use your mind. And they, they say mindfulness because they don't want to be spiritual about it. They want it to be a technique. Again, this is really a sorry state because still you're not connecting mind, body, and spirit. You're just using techniques to get into the spirit. Mm. And I say this because I also went into some kind of uh, being in with nature. taught me all about quietness, silence, being with yourself. But now that it's the pandemic, with all the isolation and the enclosure that happens, then you will have to remember nature. Then you will have to put nature in your mind and meditate about it. So I'm saying this because now that is how I'm helping people. In fact, when I started teaching eco-psychology, I just wanted to teach it because I use it as an excuse to bring my students to the park. <laughs> and then I would design courses. They're actually farm courses, eco tours. And for the ones who wants to stay longer, I would design courses which would help you go back you know, to nature, first of all, but also go back into yourself. So I, I think I taught it for many years before I retired. And so we were able to go to different farms. And I can tell you, my students still come back to me and ask me about the plants that we learn, the trees, etc., etc. And of course, I told them, you know, it's really okay to talk to the plants. And I mean this in a serious, informed way, okay? <laughs> there are scientific studies that tell us that plants are sentient beings. They're living things. They can communicate to you. You just have to know how. So you start connecting to all other living things. So what sort of advice might you give on how we can help our loved ones who are 
going through tough times, especially in this pandemic, yeah. First, let me say what we are all experiencing in these difficult times. And I'm sure I can give you three pages or five pages of the list of all the worries and things that you experience since March, six months mm-hmm. ago. What I'm saying only is all of the things we're experiencing now are normal reactions to an abnormal situation. So there's nothing wrong with you, ideally. Okay, There's nothing wrong with you, but tell me, there will be something wrong with you if this goes on. Okay, So the next point to underscore is the fact that you have to acknowledge that and realize that that is what is happening to you. You have to know what are the signs of that stress so that you can deal with it. And dealing with it means dealing with it directly yourself. No, because now it's even so hard to have tele, telepsychiatry, tele this, tele that. It's so hard for us psychologists to even help. So we, so we actually recommend a lot of self-help measures. So you have to look at the signs of stress, again, from three areas. The physical, of course, which is lack of sleep, loss of appetite, and of course, aches and pains, stomach ache, headache, body ache, etc. Very physical. And then the mental, the mind, the psychological, okay? These are all what you label as anxiety, worry, um, pangamba, ligalig, nervousness, etc., etc., no? Which means that you experience a roller coaster of emotions. Sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down, sometimes you're overly positive, sometimes you're so deep down low. And then the third point is actually your behavior, the way you deal with things. You're very irritable about small stuff. You cannot plan. You cannot function effectively even under ordinary things like probably you forget easily, not because you're senior, but just because you forgot the system. First, recognize that, that these are not so good signs but also recognize that there's so much that you are already doing that is helping you. And if I ask you now to list down what you are doing that's helping you, I'm sure you will tell me. Your hobbies, you learned how to cook, you found out new things to do, you, you now learned a new language, now you have this podcast, You're, you, you adopted a pet, you know, how many, how many cats do we yeah. now have in the house which we, which we, I know, which we picked up in the street, you know? <laughs> I'm planting more than ever before. Check, and check, I, check. Lahat. And <laughs> yeah. Many, many, many other things. Why? Because you're a wonderful person who's trying to help yourself. So thank God that you're doing that because then actually you're saved. One of the things before I go into the final thing is, so it's mind-body, okay? How about the spirit? Normally, you encounter the spirit when you're down and out. But I wish we would encounter the spirit when we're up and about. And this has happened in my encounter with nature. I have not been to the farm since March, and it's already killing me. Oh, wow. Thank God we have a garden. Mm. Thank God I have a little terrace where I can plant. Thank God the birds are still on my windows. Thank God. I can walk around the village and see the flowers. 
all the other things I tell you about hobbies and reading and talking to friends and uh, etc. are all very good. But sometimes it does not connect to the spirit. Because with spirit, you have to be quiet and spontaneous. You have to be lost like you're nowhere. I mean, it's almost the opposite of all the things that we're doing, being organized, planning, routine. That's what I advise people. Set up a structure, do some planning, set up your goals, you know, because this is to make you function fully. Mm. But then I realized it does not connect to your spirit still. Mm. And that's what I realized also for myself. When I started, so now I have, again, this ritual, not only of meditation, but every morning, my husband and I, now when we, now that we're allowed to walk, so we walk for another 30 minutes around. And I always say, thank God for this village, which has so many trees. <laughs> but if you don't have this luxury, I think you have to be very, very creative and imaginative. Okay? And there's so many postings in Facebook. Ang gaganda! No, mga bulaklak, mga alaman, mga ano-ano. No, I don't know if it's just my friends, but maybe it's also your friends. <laughs> Post all these beautiful things about nature. So that is my connection to the spirit. And I think more than anything else, it has helped me. We feel really fortunate to have this opportunity and platform to share stories that we feel are important in helping us reconnect with ourselves, others, and nature. We'd like to express our gratitude to Forest Foundation Philippines, who have been largely instrumental in making this podcast possible for this past year. If you'd like to know more about their work in protecting and growing our forests and restoring our connection with the natural world, visit forestfoundation.ph. Disclaimer, the next part of our episode will talk about suicide. This can be a very sensitive topic to explore, triggering for some. So if you feel like you're not in the best headspace to handle it, you may choose to listen to this episode at a different time when you are more comfortable. Jella Patines is an environmentalist and social entrepreneur who founded the Institute of Skin Divers of Ateneo or ISDA and Reef Nomads, an ecotourism agency. She teaches marine conservation and love for the ocean through skin diving. But for this episode, Jella dives deep into her personal history, her struggles and her lessons when it comes to dealing with a mental illness. Hello, my name is Jella Petines. I really didn't know like what was wrong with me because up to high school, I was always angry. I was always like pissed at everyone at home, getting angry and shouting. Um, super different from who I am now. Like I don't think anyone would believe me <laughs> if I told them that I was a really difficult kid growing up. And then in college, my Psych 101 professor, Dr. Quina Lee Chua, mm-hmm. she asked, me to meet her after class because she said there was something different about my essay which was a pretty personal essay and she had me go to a family counsel counselor 
And I had to go to therapy every Tuesday for, I think, three or four months. And then I think I was kind of fine after that. And then it manifested again when I was 23 years old. I was already working in Makati. I couldn't sleep. And, like, I really had zero sleep every time I went to work. And it it was so hard. I was already crying. And I had to see someone again. And then I only really committed to a therapist and knew what I had when I was already 27 or 28 years old. People have different tolerances for pain and suffering. And we don't really know. We can't really judge people based on their behavior and their and their situations because nothing is always as it seems like things are really more complicated than they are and what i realized in my journey to healing is it's super not a straight line it's not the trajectory it's not like straight up when just because you're committed to therapy or your meds it doesn't mean that you're on your way to healing 100 percent um, it's really case to case. Mine was up and down, up and down, but I generally felt like I was getting stronger. I went to therapy for a year and a half. I highly recommend them because I feel like I really was able to learn a lot of cognitive behavioral tools. Like you don't have to necessarily be helpless just because you have a mental illness. You will realize through therapy that you are strong enough to ride that wave. So there came a point when I was suicidal really this year, 2020. I think there was a series of unfortunate events in my life that led to it. And it was horrible because I felt like I was out of my body and everything was pain. So good thing at the time i was kind of near my therapist and i did an emergency meetup which i have never done before and i think it was just i was just lucky at the time that he was there and i said i'm really delirious about you know being gone like i was so like i was obsessing over it so much that that was the only way that was the only thing i was thinking of at the time or i could think of because i really felt Mm -hmm. like i was having (laughs) surgery without anesthesia and i don't know it's so different it's not physical pain it was emotional mental it was everything that wasn't physical but it was excruciating like i can't describe it and my sister was about to get married and i wanted to be there So that was what I was thinking, and so I didn't do it. And so I sought help, and then he said, okay, I'm going to call your parents, and they have to pick you up, and you have to go to the doctor. So that was going to be my first time to visit the psychiatrist, which is different from a psychologist. So my therapist was the psychologist, And then my psychiatrist, that's the doctor who can diagnose mental illnesses and prescribe medication. So they they took me right away to the doctor. And then I was prescribed 
pills for anxiety, which is actually an antipsychotic. And it's weird, like, knowing that you're taking an antipsychotic, but, you know, whatever helps. And then an antidepressant. So at the time, I, I was like, okay, so I really do have major depressive disorder because it's already come to that. Like, I, I was already on the brink of suicide. And I, I, I've been taking these medications for almost nine months, so I'm happy to, to announce that I have a few days left on the anti-anxiety pill like if if all goes well i end october 30 it's october 21 so i'm really excited i feel really happy and productive i've been feeling this since i think july july august september consistently like like it's it's been really good and i what i could say is it was a combination of first of all therapy for resilience for self-care self-compassion the meds for being a remedy for imbalances in our brain chemistry because mental health is also it's biological so the meds intervene to kind of balance out the the things in our in our bodies that make us not function normally and then the community i'm in so my family my relatives and my friends are so supportive of course you cannot you cannot avoid people who aren't helpful but when you do encounter them it's best to just stay close to those who are safe people who what I would call your circle of affirmation. Just keep them close to you. And then, yeah, apply what you learn in therapy. And the people surrounding a person with mental illnesses, they would require a lot of patience, like so much patience. Like you're really going to be pushed to the edge because it really is difficult to... Like, it takes so long because people have different paces in healing and they really have to want it. It's not forced. So it is, like, something you can keep encouraging people to to heal from and you have to keep presenting opportunities for them to, to, to heal. And that's by keeping their minds busy with things that are healthy, taking walks, doing hobbies they like, doing chores or errands, anything to get them out of their heads. And they will reject your invites a lot. I do remember rejecting a lot of invites from friends and family and like for things that are I know will be fun, but you know, you just really have zero energy and you just want to stay in bed for like 16 hours. <laughs> So I had so many days of that. I was just in bed and I couldn't get up. And then at night, you can't sleep. It's horrible. And I wish, I wish everybody going through it would see that it is so possible. It's so possible for things to get better than that. Um, you just have to, to see that there, there is help. 
And there are communities, there are people who are willing to listen and help you out. We hope these stories have allowed you to find some healing for yourself and for others, especially when you realize that you're not alone in what you may be going through. We'd like to thank those who bravely shared their voices with us for this episode, Elizabeth De Castro and Jella Pitinas. And we'd also love for you to share your thoughts with us via Instagram at Mooney underscore PH or via our Telegram channel and group linked in the episode description. This episode was brought to you by Forest Foundation Philippines. It was produced by Mooney, hosted and written by Jen Horn and Ian De La Torre, edited by podwiz.com.au, with music by Diego Mapa and branding by Sirius Studio.